0: He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. Let us hear from you this morning. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know that scene in the movie when a character is faced with a moral quandary and an angel appears on one shoulder and offers advice, and a devil appears on the other shoulder and offers conflicting advice? I love that scene. It almost always works for me. It's almost always funny. I especially like it when The actor who's playing the main character is also playing the angel and the devil and is just like dressed up like a little angel or dressed up like a little devil. For some reason, the instance of this that pops into my head is from a movie called The Emperor's New Groove. And it proceeds just like you'd expect. The character has a choice to make. The devil and the angel pop up, one on each shoulder, make their arguments, and the devil wins. And this is a particularly astute observation, I think, uh, because the devil always wins, right? If you, if your devil and your angel, the advisors on your shoulders, are just dressed up little versions of you, then the devil's argument is going to win every time. And as I recall in the emperor's new groove, the devil's argument is so convincing that the angel, in fact, goes over to the other's <laughs> shoulder and joins him. Now, this image of an angel and a devil on your shoulders has been rattling around in my head recently. Uh, I think for a weird reason, I was was watching a YouTube video about how to tell whether that voice you're hearing in your heart is the Holy Spirit. Everything's on YouTube. (laughs) Now, assuming that you're not in a movie where an angel and a devil are actually visible to you, how can you tell who's the one talking? If it's The little angel or the little devil, the Holy Spirit or the evil one. How, in other words, can you recognize the voice of God? That's what this morning's sermon is going to be about, how to recognize the voice of God. And I'm going to talk about that using this familiar story from 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah on the mountaintop. But first, I want to go back one chapter for some context. So Israel, the nation, has once again, as they so often did, ignored both the law they've been given and the prophets sent to remind them of it. And they've slipped back into idolatry, worshiping the false gods of the surrounding nations. In this particular case, they're worshiping a god named Baal, very popular in the region at the time. And God, displeased with the people's unfaithfulness, has sent a drought to judge them. And it has been a drought for the last three years. And now into this drought comes the prophet Elijah, who feels like he is the only one in the whole country still being faithful to God. And what Elijah does just before the story we have before us in our reading this morning is both fascinating and awesome. Because he challenges the prophets of Baal All 450 of them, I told you, this is a very popular God. Elijah challenges them to a contest. 450 faithful prophets of Baal, one faithful prophet of Yahweh. There's going to be a contest. If you've heard any of the stories of Israel's history during this time, you've probably heard this one. The king, the people, and the prophets of Baal gather at Mount Carmel for this little challenge. It hasn't rained in forever. Remember, a three-year drought. And so Elijah suggests that each group, the prophets of Baal on one side and him on the other, build an altar, prepare a sacrifice, and see whose God can light it on fire. Should be easy, right? Everything is dry as a bone. So the prophets of Baal build their altar, lay their sacrifice out on it, and pray to their God. They sing and dance around. They beg and plead. Nothing happens. And Elijah is a great trash talker here. (laughs) He tells them to pray louder because perhaps their God is in the bathroom. (laughs) Literally in the Bible. You should look this up. But no luck. Their God is powerless. And as we know, non-existent. But then it's Elijah's turn. But before he asks Yahweh, to send fire, he has the altar soaked in water three times. And only then, once everything is drenched and fire seems absolutely impossible, Elijah turns to God and asks him to prove himself. And immediately, fire falls from heaven and everything is consumed. The water, the stone, the sacrifice, the altar, everything is gone in a flash. In an instant, And the result could not be more obvious. Israel sees that Yahweh is the only real God. They fall on their faces and shout, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then a rainstorm comes signaling the end of the drought and the good news that God's promises are still reliable. He will still care for and redeem his people. So that's the background. 1 Kings 18 ends with Elijah and this great victory. In 1 Kings 19, though, Elijah's life has quickly taken a turn for the worse. Queen Jezebel is not happy that he has not only embarrassed all of her prophets, but he's actually put them to death. And so she vows to kill him just like he killed them. And so despite this huge victory, Elijah must then escape into the harsh barrenness of the desert, which is where we find him in our reading this morning, curled up under a broom tree. Now, Elijah complains to God, saying that he might as well just die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. But God won't grant that wish and gives Elijah some food to get him through the night and to re-energize him, because in fact, God has a journey in store For Elijah, God wants him to be in a particular place for what's going to happen next. The prophet travels 40 days and 40 nights, a heavily symbolic amount of time, and ends up at Mount Horeb, which has another name that you might know better Mount Sinai. So here's Elijah, having just had this intense and miraculous encounter with the promise keeping God, about to have a meeting with that God on a mountaintop. This is an echo of Moses, who had an intense and miraculous encounter with God at the Red Sea, and then met with God on this same mountain in order to receive the law. And now, once again, God is going to speak. But he's not going to speak like he did to Moses. In Exodus, there is great thunder and lightning when Moses is on the mountaintop, and a cloud covers everything. And here again, we get these great natural phenomena, right? A great strong wind, an earthquake, and a fire. And perhaps, having just seen an amazing natural occurrence during his contest with the prophets of Baal, fire falling from the sky, and remembering Moses' experience, Elijah might have expected God to show up like that but God was in none of those things. He wasn't in the wind, or the earthquake, or the fire. But then, the sound of a low whisper. You might have heard the more lyrical translation from the King James, a still, small voice. Here is God, and Elijah knew it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Elijah comes out covering himself in reverent submission and holy fear, knowing that he is about to hear from God. He's going to hear a word from the Lord. Now, too often, I think, we like those movie characters with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, we hear those whispers and think that they are the still small voice of God. But really they're just us whispering to ourselves what we really want to hear. Tom Petty suggested that we listen to our hearts, that they would tell us what to do, but the Bible counsels us otherwise. The heart is deceitful above all things, the prophet Jeremiah tells us, and desperately sick. So what does the still small voice in 1 Kings 19 teach us about how to hear God, how to recognize God's voice, how to distinguish between your little devil, your deceitful heart, and God's own whisper? Here's the important part. Though it is very different in character from the fire that fell from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal, God's whisper on the mountaintop shares one critical thing with that fire. It comes from outside of Elijah. This story does not teach us to listen to the quiet voices that we hear within. Those voices that are comforting whispers, telling us what we want to hear. That's not God. That's you, dressed up in a little devil costume with horns and a tail. The word of God is most definitely not coming from you. In fact, it's coming, as I'm going to prove to you here in a second, it's coming from and through Jesus himself, even way back here in the time of prophets and kings. Let's look closely at the p- passage and see how this works. So in verse 9, we see Elijah hold up in a cave, and a voice comes. But actually, we need to be more specific than that. The Bible says that a word comes, and it is a personal word. Listen, then Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, The word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So remember that. The word of the Lord here is a person, and he personally comes to Elijah and speaks to him. And then we get those amazing natural phenomena, followed by the still small voice in verse 13. And when Elijah hears that, he wraps his face in his cloak, And goes out and stands at the entrance to the cave. And then behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And notice this. This is, I think, very cool. Elijah is asked the same question before and after the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. The exact same question in the exact same words. Before and after. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives the exact same answer both times, word for word again. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. The exact same question, the exact same answer. What is it that we're supposed to be noticing here? What is our attention being called to by these twin conversations? Same question, same response. What we're supposed to be seeing here is that Elijah is talking to the same person. The voice in verse 13 is the voice of the word of the Lord... From verse 9, the word of the Lord is speaking to Elijah. And we know who the word of the Lord is. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's from the first chapter of John's Gospel. And it's introducing us to Jesus. And this is the key to recognizing the voice of God. It's simple and yet amazingly profound. The voice of God is the word of God is Jesus. It is Jesus himself who speaks to Elijah In a still, small voice. But though still and small, what a voice this is. This is a voice infused with the power of Almighty God. It is no wonder that Elijah covers his face in holy fear. This is the voice, the word through which all things were made. This is the word that spoke the law to Moses and then revealed God's glory to Elijah on the same mountain. This is the word of God, which leads to the destruction of sinners, like the 450 prophets of Baal. But this is also the word that is made flesh, opening up the way of salvation for sinners who come to believe. Elijah has just, in his contest with those unbelieving prophets of Baal, experienced God as this huge bombastic force, fire raining down from the heavens. And yet here he is, this same God, in a still, small voice. But he is the same. And Elijah recognizes him as the Word. And we know him as Jesus. But in both cases, he is most clearly and most definitely from outside of Elijah. And the response to the word of God is holy fear and submission. This is what we can learn about listening to God from Elijah's story. The way to tell if it's God isn't to try to distinguish between a big elemental explosion and a still small voice because God can and does speak in both ways. The way to tell it's God is to make sure it's not coming from deep within you, but from outside of you. See if it's the actual word of God. In other words, go read the Bible. Back in John chapter 1, After the evangelist makes sure we know that Jesus is the word of God, who was with God from the beginning, and who is God, and who always has been, he tells us that this Jesus, this word, is how we can know God. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then he says this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus makes God known. So, do you want to hear the still, small voice of God in your own life. Don't look inside. Look to Jesus Christ and the words about him, the Holy Scriptures. When Jesus was asked questions, he routinely began to answer them with, have you not read? Let us read the Scriptures. Immerse yourself in the Word. Plunge yourself into the Bible. Submit yourself to to the God who speaks, to the God who has spoken. All scripture, writes Paul to Timothy, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen to God and be complete and ready to do the good work that he has prepared for you. And in just a second here, we're going to stand together and say the Nicene Creed. This is an affirmation of faith that Christians have been saying for centuries. Imagine, as you say it with us, that you were witness to the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You've seen what the word of God can do. You believe that with a word, God created the heavens and the earth. You believe that with a word, with the word Jesus Christ, God can and does redeem sinners and raise the dead to new life. You believe that by the word, by the finished work of Jesus Christ, that redemption and resurrection can be yours. Reaffirm your faith in God's promise or believe it today for the first time. Pray with Elijah as he was ready to call down the fire that would create faith in the nation of Israel. O Lord, he prayed, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know you, that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. God will turn your heart back. Today, tomorrow, forever. Pray that prayer with Elijah. Watch what the word of God can do. The word, Jesus Christ, will make it so. And then rejoice with us as we celebrate his finished work. The life, the death. The resurrection by which you are saved. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen.